Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. My name is Andrew. I'm the campus pastor here at City, and uh, we have been going for not quite two years. We launched in August of 2019, and it has been a ride, uh, and it's been a journey through COVID, but through it all, God has been incredibly good to us, and uh, being in this place in the city and blessing our city and being part of a bigger vision that we've just heard about is a real joy. I was just reminded, actually, that I remember as a kid actually going, I was a little older than, but not too much older than Jono, when I went to Mansfield State High to church, and I don't know if that was when you were kicking around, Dave, and um, I remember as a young kid going to a a service one night, um, and it was alive, and there was the presence of God in worship, and uh, it was in that space that many young people, like Dave, who's still a young person, um, was sent out in mission. My prayer is that that will be for us as well that God would move in our midst, that he would speak to us, that he would speak to you, that he would call you, and that you would know the, 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 the leading and the presence and the power of God on your life, whether that's to your workplace, to your university, or to the other side of the world. You up for that? You open to the presence of God? I'm gonna share a message tonight, I believe it's for us as a church, and my prayer is that your hearts will be open to the vision that God has for us. See, as a church... God has spoken vision into our hearts and we've been obedient to that and we've gone. See, when when, when vision captures our heart, we go above and beyond to see that vision become a reality. Do you understand that? When you you know this, right? When you get a vision, when when a vision grabs your heart, you go above and beyond to see that vision realized. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you don't have a vision for your life. Well, my prayer is that tonight you'll begin to capture a greater vision, a greater vision for your life, a greater vision uh, for what you've been invited into. When you have a vision, you are moved to go above and beyond to see that vision realized. We know this. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's off the bat. Let's start, start with a couple of examples. One big global one and then personal example of how this works. The vision of flight 120 years ago, Wilbur and Orville Wright, great names. Wilbur and Orville, there's just some free names for you if you, you know, you kind of got a glint in your eye, you're looking at getting married and having some kids. Wilbur and Orville, great names. Anyway, 120 years ago, they had a vision in their hearts to see humans fly like the birds. You know, they would have dedicated their time and their resources, their very lives, because they're the guys who actually strapped themselves to these machines and actually flew. The first time a mechanical aircraft flew was in 1903 at, the, at this hill. They decided to do it on this hill, Big Kill Devil Hill. Like, who would do that? Down in North Carolina, they took their aeroplane on Big Kill Devil Hill and they flew for 120 feet, 12 seconds. That's the first time humanity took flight in a powered aircraft. There was a vision in their heart. They were desperate to see it happen. They went above and beyond to see that vision take place. 66 years later, there was another big vision in the heart of, of a, a bunch of guys who got in a rocket ship and flew to the moon. 
And we, we know that Neil Armstrong and his fellow astronauts stepped out onto the moon, onto the lunar surface, just 66 years after the first aeroplane was flying. This is incredible. And in 2021, people, you can order a flat white in Logan and have a drone come and deliver it into your backyard. This is where we have come in 120 years. I don't know if you know, you've seen this, but a company called Wing are now delivering flat whites to the local Logan neighbourhood. Uh, so if you're not living in Logan, well, maybe, maybe we're in the wrong city. We need to get down to Logan and have flat whites delivered or things from hardware stores or whatever it is. You know, when we're captured with a vision, we will go above and beyond to see it happen. You know this, right? It's certainly true for me. I remember when Megan and I first moved back from London eight years ago, seven years ago, whenever it was, I, I lose track. But we, uh, we bought an old wooden ramshackled house. It's about all we could buy. We walked into this house and it was a mess. There was ripped lino on the floors. There were walls and mirrors in strange places. There was smelly, dodgy carpet. The painting was awful. But when we walked into it, we, we got a vision. We didn't see what it was. We saw what it could be. And it moved us to go far above and beyond what we should do to make our vision become a reality. I mean, I became a DIY expert. I mean, that is just nonsense. I did cornicing. I ripped the cornicing down and I put it back up again. I was doing it with YouTube the whole way. It took forever, blood, sweat and tears every weekend. And I can tell you there was not a straight wall in the house. Now, how much you young people go, what is a cornice? I don't even know what you're talking about. It's just the coving in yeah, you got you with me. Anyway, it's hard. It's hard. I went through way more plaster than I should. And Megan, who was 15 months pregnant with Maddie, she was she painted the whole house to perfection. To perfection. I'm sure it wasn't good for Maddie. Maybe it's why her hair is crazy. It was all that paint fumes. But Maggie just spent the whole time just painting. And then, and, then, and then I was out landscaping, cutting down trees and chopping down things. And it's a you know, weekend upon weekend. And then to top it all off, I spent an, a whole bunch of other weekends with a trailer attached to the back of my car, driving around all of southeast Queensland, picking up furniture from gum tree sales that Megan had purchased. This is a thing, guys. This is what happens. And, uh, and so, oh, you know, sure, Andrew, well, I've, just, I've purchased a sofa from Toowoomba. So uh, off you go. It was 15 bucks. So you can go get it. You know, when you've got a vision in your heart, you will go above and beyond to see it become a reality. Vision is a powerful thing. It motivates us in powerful ways. Motivates us to do great things. You know, we're willing, when it grabs our heart, we're willing to put our money, our energy, our time, our thought, our planning into it. I want to ask you tonight, what vision is in your heart? What sits deep in your heart? What are you giving your money, your energy, your time, your thought and your planning to? Because it'll point to your vision. It'll point to, to what you see as most important, what you see as ultimate. And ultimately, what you see as eternal. See, our eternal vision has the power 
to move us to go above and beyond, to see it realised. And the beautiful thing about the church is that we have been given a great eternal vision. We've been given, as if, if I tack it on to the story that we've been part of, we're part of a better story that has a better end, that has an eternal vision. God has called us as his people. He's given us an eternal vision and he's called us to go above and beyond. He's given us a vision. He's given his church throughout the millennia. For the last 2,000 years, he's given the church, his church, a vision for why we are to go above and beyond. It's an eternal vision. And I tell you, it's a vision that has kept the church alive and vibrant through some of the darkest, toughest times throughout its history. And today we're going to actually jump into a passage that encapsulates this vision. It speaks and invites us into a story. It gives us today a vision just as it gave the early church a vision. And we're going to be jumping into a great book, a book that I could spend three months teaching through, and maybe one day we will. It's the book of Revelation. And we're going to be reading from Revelation chapter 5. And so I've got your Bibles, open it up. And as you're doing that, let me just give you a bit of context. This is an apocalyptic book. Why wouldn't you want to jump into something that's apocalyptic, man? It's just wild. I mean, there are symbols, there are strange beasts going on. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings meets Harry Potter. It's nuts. It's apocalyptic and it's all symbolic. It speaks of a deeper truth. It's a story that invites us into this great narrative, this great story through its symbols and its signs and declares ultimately that Jesus is king. And this story is written, you've got to understand, this story is written by a guy called John who's uh, on Patmos. He's, he's had this vision, this dream, and he's leaning on a whole bunch of Old Testament prophecies as he writes this book. And he is writing, and you see this in the first few chapters, he's writing to seven churches in Asia Minor. Seven baby churches. This is the early church, right? And you've got to understand these seven churches are surrounded by the great power of the day. The Roman Empire, where the Caesars were Lord, where they reigned and ruled. And at the beginning of Revelation, we see these seven letters from Jesus. And Jesus uh, writes or speaks to these churches. And you've got to understand that each of these churches are in different cities and there are different challenges that the church is surrounded by. Some of them are under serious persecution. Some of them are trying to grapple with ideologies and different ideas and different religions. Some of them are grappling with the, with, with the Roman Empire. Some of them are actually being lured in to, to, the, to the wealth and the resources of the surrounding culture. They're all different circumstances, but for each one, Jesus speaks to them. And he, as he speaks to them, he's saying, keep going. Don't give up. Don't give in. Ultimately, you must prevail because Jesus has prevailed. Jesus is king. And we begin to see that outworked throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. And I don't have time to unpack that, but there, then straight after those letters, we jump into Revelation chapter 5. 
and we read this story. You ready to jump in to this tonight? Come on, let's go. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read the whole chapter here, people. Strap in. Here we go. It's wild. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is a strange story, but what I'd love to unpack with you tonight is actually it's a, a different take of the better story. It's, it's looking at this great story, this great narrative, this great arc that we've been journeying through over the last eight weeks through a different lens. It's a vision of something that is wonderful and powerful. It's a story that we are all invited into. And it's a reminder to the seven churches and the early church back then. It's a reminder for us today as well that we are invited into. We are part of this great story. And like we found out over the course of the last eight weeks, we've been, we've been journeying through this story. It starts, or at least early on, there's a problem. So John falls into this sleep, he's having a vision, and there's a problem. What's the problem? Well, the scroll can't be opened. Now, I don't know, we're going to unpack what's in that scroll a little bit later on, but clearly there is something of great importance in this scroll. There's something very important that's going to release something, that's going to give something it's really important. We know it's really important because as John looks on, as he has this vision, he begins, as we read, he begins to weep and weep. He is absolutely devastated that this scroll cannot be opened. Why can't it be opened? Because there is no one worthy to open the scroll. No one is worthy enough. Why not? Well, let me suggest it's because of 
our sin because no creature in heaven on earth, including us, can open this scroll. No one in humanity or creation can because of brokenness and sin. No one is worthy. See, sin is the power of no one. Not me, not you, not anyone has the power to overcome the power of sin. See, sin is beyond our abilities to solve. It's a disease, and we've looked at this, right? It's, the, it's a disease that sits in our hearts, and no one can overcome it. No one can overwhelm it. No one can defeat it. It has infected every one of us, and it stopped us from being worthy to God. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, no one is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. I mean, this is, this is pretty hard words. Like, this is hard to understand. I mean, we live in a culture where we like to think we can fix things. We like to think that we can become, I hear this all the time, we can become a better version of ourselves. We can become a better person. I was just even this week looking at watching the news and a public figure was confessing and repenting and, and, and from something they've done. And they said, I'm just working at becoming a better person. You know, that's just religion rehashed. We like to think that we can just become that better person, that we can fix things. And so to be told that we're sinners and we can't fix something is, is deeply confronting. I'm one of those guys who likes to think that he can fix things. You know, no matter what, whatever the problem I've created, <laughs> I want to fix it. I, you know, that's a little bit like we're like as kids, right, isn't it? We smash something, we do something wrong, we, and we just try and cover it up or fix it before mum and dad find out. And, and that's still me, you know. But, but I do, I, I, I like to fix problems. I like to think that I can fix problems. But the reality is, is, Often, I just make it worse, particularly when it comes to Megan. I'm getting better. You know, we all fail in different ways. Not only do we try and personally fix the problem of sin, but we're, we're in a world that tries to fix the problem of sin, and it does it by recasting and creating a different vision. Creates a vision that says, you know what, we can escape from sin. Ultimately, sin is unhappiness. And if we can just create a vision that gets us to happiness, then we'll be good. So how do we get to happiness? Well, we just need to spend more. We need to consume more. We need to experience more, right? You've heard all this from me in the, in the past few weeks. But if we can do all that, then that leads to our internal and external happiness. Basically, happiness is found in money and wealth, in success and power. We can spend our way out of sadness. We can desire our way out of despair. But as we look at what's happening in our world, in our Western society, we're seeing that we're actually becoming less loving and we're becoming less generous. We actually cannot fix the problem of sin. We can't fix it. We can't fix it in our culture. And as we look out throughout the history of humanity, we never have been able to. And so we look around at our world today and we see that our world aches and groans under the weight of sin. You know, we look out into our city, 
We just have to walk out the front door of our city and we see the pain and the suffering and the broken, brokenness on our streets. We look out at those we live with, those we do life with, those we spend time with, our neighbours, our work colleagues, our friends, our family, those in our community, and we see brokenness. We see destruction. We see heartache and we see pain. And we look through our TV screens and our computer screens and we, we absorb what's going around the world and we see war and disasters, we see conflict, we see despair, more information that we're able to absorb and we can see a world that can't fix itself. See, there's a problem in our world and we can't fix it. There's a story that we're invited into, but we can't make it there. We are unable to open the scroll. And it leads this world to despair. It leads this world to weep. And as John looks on, he realises that no one is worthy to open the scroll. And he weeps and he weeps and he weeps. But there is good news. There's a vision here and it doesn't end there. Because this elder comes up to, comes up to John and says, John... Don't weep. Cheer up. Don't weep. Why? Because there's hope. There is a hope because Jesus has gone above and beyond for us. The elder says, don't weep because there is one, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain who is worthy to open the scroll. We sang about it in the first song for those of us here. You know, we sang that song, The Lion and the Lamb. And it speaks uh, and it loans itself. And, and you know here that this is leaning on Old Testament language. You can go and read Isaiah later on if you want. But Isaiah chapter 11, we read that, that, that there is a Messiah, this, this root that comes out of Jesse. Jesse is the parent, the dad of David, who is from the line of Judah. In Isaiah 11, it says, A shoot will come up out of the stump of Jesse, and his roots, a branch, will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. In that day, the root of Jesse, verse 10 says, will stand as a banner for all peoples, and nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. This is the King, the Messiah, the the, the second David, the one that the people of Israel are waiting for that will arise out of Judah. It's pointing to the king who will reign, the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah is here, the elder says, but it's not just the Lion of Judah, it's also the Lamb. The Lamb that was slain. Again, this is picking up on language that sits at the heart of Old Testament, of the Old Testament. You know, we know the story of the Exodus, right? You know, we've watched the movies or whatever, where the angel of death comes and the, the Hebrew people in Egypt are told to kill a lamb and take its blood and put it on the doorposts. And by doing so, the angel of death would pass by and it precipitates Pharaoh releasing the people of Israel into freedom. So this picture of redemption, this picture of atonement, this picture of freedom that comes with the blood of a lamb that is slain sits at the heart of Old Testament language 
And so the elder tells the story that there is a lamb, there is a lamb that has slain, that has died, a lamb that has, is worthy, has proven his worth in order that the scroll can be opened. And we know, right, that this is talking about Jesus. Obviously, the people who are hearing this message, the people who are reading it in the churches, who are reading it to the, the early church, know that this is Jesus, the King who came up who was born in Bethlehem in Judah, the one who died on a cross and made atonement for our sins. It's the lion and the lamb, it's Jesus. But that's only part of the good news because it doesn't finish there. Jesus is just not the lion of Judah, the king of Israel, and the one who makes atonement for the people of Israel. Jesus is the king above all kings. And it's not just good news for the people of Israel. It's good news for everyone. We read, as the, as the elder says, he has triumphed. He has won, he has victory, and he makes it available to everyone. Here's the good news, people. You wanna understand the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus is king. When you say Jesus is king, that changes everything. Jason Ellsmore, who was here last week, if you were here, spoke from Isaiah chapter 52. You wanna understand what the good news is? Well, Isaiah 52 verse seven says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, the gospel, euangelion, those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. What's the good news? Our God reigns. What's the good news? Jesus reigns. The good news is that Jesus is king and it's not just for a certain group of people, but it is for everyone. This is the vision. This is the picture that we get. We read, because you were slain, uh, the, the, speaking about the lamb, and with your blood you purchased for God who? Persons from every tribe and language and people and tongue. Jesus is king over all and for all. That means that we as his followers are invited into his rule and reign. We are part of his kingdom. We are invited into his kingdom. That is the good news. Jesus is king and we're invited into his kingdom. Now you gotta understand that this is dynamite. You gotta understand that, that in the Roman Empire, as they're reading this, they're going, no, 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 we're told that Caesar is Lord. And right here in a subversive, powerful way, the vision says that, no, 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 there is someone else who is Lord. There is someone else who is king. Jesus is king. And we're invited into that kingdom. See, we are called, as part of being the kingdom, we are called to go above and beyond to share his good news. See, if we are participants in his kingdom, then we do the work of the king. Does that make sense? Being in his kingdom means that we do his work. And we see in verse 10 how this plays out. You have made them, that is the church, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Firstly, 
There's two Ps here, follow with me. The first one is we are called to be participants. Participants in the kingdom. We are participants in God's kingdom. His reign, where? Over this earth. Again, dynamite. We are not participants in the rule and the reign of Rome or the rule and the reign of secularism or consumerism or individualism. People, we need to get this. We are participants in the reign of Jesus. And if we are participants in the reign of Jesus, then we bring good news wherever we go. Jesus is king. It's declared. We have a role to play in the kingdom. I love what the theologian Richard Balkum says. He says, the realisation of God's rule on earth already in the church cannot, in the universal perspective of revelation, be the ultimate goal of Christ's victory. While evil powers opposed to God dominate the earth, that victory has still to reach its goal, right? So we're in the now and the not yet. Just being the church is not the end. But those who, as a result of it, already acknowledge God's rule, have, as we shall see, an indispensable role to play in the full working out of the Lamb's victory, we all have a part and a role to play in outworking the victory of God's reign and rule on this earth. You want to be part of that? You're invited into that? Right now, we are invited to be participants in God's reign. Firstly, participants. Secondly, we're invited to be priests. And this is a profound thing. You know, we know that, that we don't need priests like the Old Testament priests. Like the Old Testament priests, they, they were the ones who mediated God's salvation, forgiveness. You know, you'd, you'd go to the priests and take your, you know, your animal to be slaughtered or whatever for, for the forgiveness of your sins. But we know that with the death of Jesus that we have direct access to the presence of God. But as priests here on this earth, we are commissioned to bring healing, salvation and hope to this world. Isn't that cool? We are priests on this earth. Not me. Not the dude who stands up the front and preaches. Not the guy who's paid full time, you know, to work in a church. Not me. Us. Every one of us. We are invited. Is what, what the vision is. That wherever we go, wherever our feet may tread, whether it's to the university, whether it's to your workplace, whether it's to your mate's place, Wherever it is, you are a priest bringing salvation, healing, and the message of Jesus. That's a cool calling. That's an incredible calling. I think sometimes we don't truly understand the mark that we have on us as his people. I love what N.T. Wright says. He says this, Our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. That is our PD. That's our job description. That's what we're invited to do. That is the vision that we are presented with. And so we must go. With that vision in our hearts, we must go above and beyond. 
We must play our part in bringing salvation and healing to the communities that we're surrounded by, to the world in which we live. How could we not? Could you imagine if you had access to a cure for COVID? What would you do? Would you go, oh, that's cool. I should do something about that someday. You know, I might tell some people, but, you know, I might just, you know, I want to just, just a few, just some people that I think will, you know, appreciate it. But, you know, I'm just not quite sure how everyone will take it. I don't want to be too evangelical about it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, people might think I'm a bit strange and, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm a bit worried about my work colleagues. No. If we had the cure for COVID, we would be ringing up the newspapers, we'd be ringing up the, you know, the, uh, the news agencies, we'd be on Facebook and doing Instagram and whatever it is, just say, I got the COVID cure, we're going to sort it out, it's going to be amazing, we can all get on planes again and live our experiential dream. That's what we do, wouldn't it? We'd let everybody know. See... When we've got this good news, we've got to go. We've got to tell people. We've got to let people know we must go above and beyond. And as we go, we make an investment. As we, as we go and we share this good news, we're actually investing in something that is eternal. We must invest above and beyond to make an eternal difference. You know, I've just, I mean, it feels like the, the world's gone a bit nuts recently, particularly here in Australia, when it comes to investing. You know, I turn 90, 60, 90 minutes, 60 minutes on, or I turn the news on, and there's always something around investing. Like the whole cryptocurrency thing and Bitcoin thing, you know, that, that's, you just got to, are you getting on? Are you investing there? Or are you, are you able to get that house quick? You got to get on. There's this, all this FOMO at the moment about investing. Hey, listen, I'm not saying that any of that's bad, but let me tell you, Bitcoin is not eternal. It may not even be for the next 10 years. I don't know. But listen, we can invest in, in things of this world, but it's not an eternal investment. Investment. See, we've got a picture here, a vision here of something that is eternal. We can make an eternal investment, something that will last forever. J. Campbell White says this, he says, and it's written ages ago, so I apologize for the, for the language in this, but most men are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose towards the world he came to redeem. Fame, pleasure, and riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. The men who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of life its sweetest and most priceless rewards. See, making an eternal investment comes with great meaning, purpose, influence, and as Campbell White says, sweetest and most priceless rewards. That's what we are invited into. Investing in the eternal is always worth it. It's always worth it, but it's also really costly. You see, 
John is writing in Revelation, he's, he's writing to a church where many of them have lost friends who've been martyred. You know, John himself is confronted with that reality. As he writes this vision, as gifted to him and as he gives it to the early church, he knows that many of them too will be confronted with a choice. Declare Caesar is Lord or lose your head. Declare Caesar is Lord or go to the lions. We don't necessarily have to make that choice. We're really blessed in our country that we don't have to make that choice. As Jason said last week, the worst that can happen to us is people will laugh at us and they won't share their lollies. And John is writing to the early church and they endured. They endured this small group of ragtag people in the, in the midst of the power of the Roman might. 300 years later, the Roman Empire bowed the knee to the truth of the Christian faith because this ragtag group of people would not bow the knee to Caesar but said that Jesus is Lord there was a vision in their heart and they would not let go. It is costly, but it is always, it is always, it is always worth it. For us, it'll cost us time. It'll cost us energy. It'll cost us money. It'll cost us thought. It'll cost us planning. It may even cost our lives, but it is worth it. The vision is worth it because it will have an eternal impact on nations, tribes, languages, tongues, right around the world. You know, there, have been there are people who are part of Gateway Beyond who have counted the cost. There are people who have come from this church and have sacrificed their lives, their future, their comfort, their pleasures to go and share the good news of Jesus to groups of people who have never encountered the good news to make an eternal difference. And we've got a short video that I'd just love to show, with, show you of just a bunch of our Gateway Beyond workers who we support who are making an eternal difference both here in Australia and right around the world. Why don't you cast your eyes to the screen? Together we are rescuing, rehabilitating and reintegrating kids from the harsh streets of Murray. Together we've created a health facility which employs over 65 staff and delivers compassionate health care to a needy community in northern Uganda. In the last 12 months we've been able to treat over 15,000 patients. Together we're able to bring health, hope and healing to isolated communities in East Africa. Together we have trained hundreds of missionaries to mobilise them into the nation. This year we've sent out 87 teams to minister and serve in rural communities throughout Queensland and New South Together we've translated nearly 70 percent of the New Testament into four tribal language groups in South Asia. God's word is really touching and changing lives. Together we are creating sustainable livelihoods and planting seeds and discipling many people in the Middle East. Together, we're reaching out to our campus communities through Gateway Care. 
Together, we've been partnering with God to see the next generation of missionaries trained, equipped, and sent out all around the world. Together, we are seeking to reach out to one of the largest unreached people groups in South Asia with the message of Christ. Together, we have provided food for over 10,000 people right across Brisbane in the last 12 months. Together, we are investing in the next generation of Thai youth through Christian education. And supporting missionary families to stay on the field. Together, we are reaching students who would otherwise never hear the gospel. Together, through the Gateway Counseling Homeless Centre, we've provided over 4,000 sessions bringing hope and healing individuals and families in our community. Together with the Oshield teams, we are making a difference in Eastern Congo. Doctors and nurses have been trained and upskilled to be the new life that's been modelled, and as a result, lives are being saved. Together, we're producing Bible study resources amongst the unreached in languages that never had it before, like Burmese. For the country of Myanmar, during a time of great darkness and turmoil, when they need the hope of God's work more than ever. Together, we've been able to empower joint families through income generation and community development projects. How good. That's worth just an applause, I reckon. Come on. Amazing work. Yeah, these guys have been called, many of them, to the other side of the world and sacrificed uh, so much to see the good news go out. You know, some of us are or will be called to go to the other side of the world. And some of us, all of us, are called to go to the other side of the street, to the other side of the hallway, to the other side of the office. See, we're all called to go somewhere to reach someone with the good news of Jesus. It is good news that must be shared. When we capture a vision, a true vision, a vision that transcends the vision of this world, when we capture an eternal vision, changes the way we live, changes the way we see the world. It changes our priorities. It changes our investments. I want to finish by landing where we kind of started. Landing with the scroll. This scroll. What is this scroll? Well, the scroll, as it's open, tells a story. And it gets unraveled and we see it throughout the rest of Revelation about what it tells and the pictures that it begins to reveal. And it tells us this. The scroll reveals the victory of the Lamb. The scroll reveals that Jesus is King. The scroll reveals the faithfulness of a church that endures through persecution and trial. The scroll reveals how the church brings the nations to faith. That is the story worth weeping over. That is a story that is worth being part of. And that is a story that we're invited into. The vision that we're invited into is to participate in the great story of God and to go so that every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language will hear and receive the good news of Jesus. It might be out there but it might be out there as well. 
straight out those front doors. I love the fact that as a church, even though we haven't even been here two years, we know that God has called us to make a difference and influence in the streets just out there. You know, just on Thursday, I love, I came and I arrived early uh, to get a bit of work done. And as I came through the, that hallway down, downstairs, I was greeted by a couple of our, our friends, those who'd been met by our, our team that walks the streets early in the morning. And these guys that, were, that I greeted had been invited. They're socially disadvantaged, sleeping on the streets, and they'd come early wanting to be invited in for a, a coffee and some food and some community. What a joy. And that is what we are doing. It was what God's called us to do, to love and to take good news. And I'm excited that that's just one thing amongst many things that God has called us to do. We're invited to be part and to tell a better story. It is the vision that God's invited us into. I wanna ask you tonight what vision are you giving your life to? What's the vision that sits deep in your heart? What's the eternal vision that sits in your heart? What are you living for? Because we're invited into a much better vision than what this world offers. It's a great joy for us today. This is a special day for us because we get to participate in that story. Gateway Beyond, as we've heard, He's doing incredible work in loving the most in need and broken, both here in Australia and right around the world. And every year, right across all our campuses, we commit ourselves as a church to continue to see that work happen, take place. And so the invitation is for us tonight to think and pray about what commitment are you going to make. Now, you can make a one-off commitment. Megan and I have done that before. Or you can make a, 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 an ongoing commitment, whether it's weekly or fortnightly or monthly. And there are a whole range of ways in which you can do it. Megan and I have done that as well. There's different ways in which you give. Now, I know you guys are, are kind of more tech savvy, but we'd love for you, as John has said before, we'd love you to fill this, this card out and, you can put credit card details, like who does that these days? But you can do that if you want. Or you can follow the links. If you go to gatewaybaptist.com.au, go to give, and then scroll right down to the bottom, and you'll see Gateway Beyond. And there, as you click on that page, then you can make a commitment, whether it's a one-off or maybe you want to give regularly. You can do that right now. If you want to, or you can fill in and, and fill in the details here. However you want to give, whether you want to give it the back in cash, whether you want to use the machine, however you want to do that, that is up to you. Let me encourage you to pray and think about what you're going to write, how you're going to give, how you're going to commit to see the work of Gateway Beyond continue into the years ahead to reaching those who are last, least, and lost. Hannah's going to sing over us, and we're going to give you a moment. If you need a pen, just stick your hand up. If you need a card, stick your hand up. Sally will get one to you if you need that. But just, just as uh, Hannah sings, let me encourage you just to, just to write and pray. Think, what is God calling you to give as you participate uh, in this incredible ministry? Let's take a few moments to do that as, as, uh, as we sing together. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. 
You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.